introduce our speaker, uh, Michelle Duarte has become a good friend. Michelle Duarte actually embodies what it is that he teaches, which I think is incredible. Um, his family is multicultural. Um, he pastors in a multicultural church. He started an organization called Cultivate, which uh, specifically has a vision to employ refugees. He lived in Turkey uh, for a number of years. Uh, he speaks multiple languages, so it really is a pleasure to hear from Michelle. So if you would, just welcome Michelle up to the stage. Hello, everyone. Oops, sorry. That's loud. Okay, bon dia. <laughs> there you go. I knew I'd hear some French back or something. Um, so it's a privilege to be with you. Uh, I want to start praying again. Thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this time to be here together on this first surge lunch of the year. Thank you for everyone that you brought here. Lord, I pray that your spirit will be working our hearts, working our minds as um, we, we look at this topic today, Lord. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I, I missed the introduction because I was out there, so I might be repeating. <laughs> but I was born and raised in Brazil, and I never had any dreams of coming to the U.S., but I met my wife, which was you know native from Arizona, in Turkey, and I was serving God in Turkey. So... Long story short, God brought me to the U.S., and I've been here for about 11 years now. And I'm one of the pastors at Roosevelt Community Church, which is down the street from here. We're neighbors, really close. I work with the Surge Network and the landscaping business. Um, today, I want to share something with you that's very close to my heart. And um, I have a slide. It's just basically lessons from the immigrant or the global church in Arizona. So if you're here this morning... I'm pretty sure you could have easily found a reason not to be here this morning. I'm sure you're all busy and have things to do. Some of you are in your lunch break from work. If you're here, really, it's because you want to be here and you want to see the people that you've built a relationship over the time. If, you have, if you're new, you're going to pretty quickly see that people here really build a relationship with one another and they want to be with one another. And I'm coming from this perspective that in this room, we're already people that know that it's worth spending the time to get to know people and to be in relationship with people who you just do it because you're choosing to do it. It's not because they are part of your church, they're working with you sometimes, or so you know that it's a blessing to be in relationship with the people in this room. Amen? Right? That, that's why we're here. Um, but we are all, you know, we, we congregate with people that are like us. And it's not very natural for us to hang out with people with accents or with very little English or with no English, you know. And it, it takes an extra step to be in relationship with those people that are, that are different from you, that, you know, that requires more attention sometimes. Like if I start speaking fast, you probably won't understand me, but, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep the space. Um, so I, I get the privilege to work with international pastors through the Surge Network, and we've been doing this over the years, and I have two challenges that I encounter normally. So one, from the, the international, the global pastor side, is that often when, when we tell them, when we're telling, talking to international pastors, say, look, you, you have a voice that needs to be heard. Like, your, your presence in Phoenix is important to us. Like, we want to hear from you. They often say, no, they don't want to hear me. 
Like, not really. Like, the, the idea of it sounds good. I don't have anything to share. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing our thing here. We rent space from someone else's church. You know, they want to, you know, they like us around as long as we're quiet and our kids are not making their walls dirty. So it, it's, it's like that accepting, but not really like, the, really, if you're an immigrant and you come to America, like, you feel like you're living on someone else's house for a long time. You feel like you're a guest, and a lot of the a lot of immigrants feel like sometimes they're unwelcome guests, depending where they end up, and others feel overwhelmed with love and very welcomed. I felt very welcomed and, and really loved in this country, and you know I, I've, I have so many good things to say about America, but that's another point today because I'm pretty sure you could do a better job than me to tell about the great, how great America is. But unfortunately, I'm also going to talk about some things that are not so great because we're going to talk about lessons that we can learn from the immigrant church, which is going to contrast with some things in America. But I want you to understand that it's coming from the heart of someone who loves this country. I married into America. I married an American. So I wasn't born into this country. I had, you know, it wasn't like I didn't have any choice. I chose to be part of this country, but this, con- this country also chose me. And you guys are going to get to listen to me today because, no way, people in this room chose me to be here. So I feel like it's a privilege to be with you. So from the, the, the international side, that's the challenge. We often feel like we don't have a voice or people don't want to hear us or we don't have anything to share. From the, from the Anglo, white, I don't know what's the most appropriate way to say this. So that, you know, from the majority side is to put it in a, in a, in a way that someone one day I was asking him, do you ever listen to Brazilian music? It's like, why would I listen to Brazilian music? We're in America. We have the best music in the world. And I was like, that's interesting. Because like, I grew up watching American movies with subtitles or dubbed. Have you ever watched a movie dubbed? It's really weird. It starts to talk like this. Because like, like I grew up with things in other languages. There's so many times where if I turn on the radio and they'll be playing a song, and I'll be like, Wow, I listened to this song growing up, and just now I know what they're singing about. So, like, imagine your whole life listening to a song and, and singing along, however well I could. You know, I would made up, the words were all made up, because, of course, I didn't know in English growing up. But then you grow up, and you're like, oh, now I know what they're talking about. So that, that, that's, that's life, you know, for, for, for immigrants, for us. So when I tell people... You know, okay, you need to listen to immigrants. Like, you know, we have the best music. We have the best theologians. We have the best seminaries. Maybe they won't say that outright. They won't say, like, we have the best of everything. But, like, but we're America. You know, it's like, yeah. You know, people come from ever. you know, all these foreigner students are coming here. Why? Because you have some of the best education in the world, right? So it's like that idea. It's hard to be humble when you know you're the best, right? So I understand that. But I always, always, always try to tell my, my American brothers and sisters, but you're missing out on some incredible gifts. Because I had, because I was forced in order to communicate the gospel, in order to church plant in the places where I've been, I had to learn, not just their language. Like, really, think about it. Can you imagine, can you picture yourself 10 years from now, standing in front of a room like this, speaking in a foreign language that you did not grow up speaking? So, if you care about the gospel, and if you care about people who never heard the gospel, 
you, you learn the language, you learn to communicate. So I learned the language, I learned Spanish first, then I had to learn uh, English so I could learn Turkish because there was no Portuguese Turkish dictionaries and our field leader was American. So no choice, I had to learn English, which I'm very thankful for because I can talk to my wife. <laughs> but yeah, that might have been a bit difficult, you know. So, but because I learned the language, I also had to learn the culture. And learning the culture, I realized how many things about my own culture I didn't understand. And how many idols about my own culture I never saw until I learned other languages. Until I was exposed to the way of the Turkish people thinking about the gospel and looking at the gospel. So, and there's a quote, if you can put on the screen. You know, like, if Mike Goheen was here or the MTC people, they're going to love it. Because it's like, you know, you can't go wrong with a quote from Les Newbegin. And this is going to make the point. Oh, no, so that's the question and the quote. There's a quote. There you go. So the reference to mutual correction is the crucial one. All our reading of the Bible and all our Christian discipleship are necessarily shaped by the cultures which have formed us. The only way in which the gospel can challenge our culturally, our culturally conditioned interpretation of it is through the witness of those who read the Bible with minds shaped by other cultures. We have to listen to others. This mutual correction is sometimes unwelcome, but it's necessary and it's fruitful. I'm, I'm Brazilian. I can't speak in front of people without a Bible. So you, you got to open your app somehow, and I promise I'll be super quick, and I promise it's worth it. It's worth Open First Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians chapter, chapter 11. And... Because I feel like, you know, I can talk, as you probably noticed, I can talk. My wife was like, oh, you can just talk for two hours about anything and, and you know, just keep going. But I want to talk about the Bible. Because everything I'm going to say today, I hope, I really hope that the Holy Spirit will put in your heart, not because of what you heard from me, but because of what the Bible is going to continue to speak to you. So in verse 12, and I'm going to read... And I'm going to make some comments about it. So we're going to start in verse 12 in chapter, uh, chapter 11. Sorry, chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. Just as body, that, that pronunciation might be better than mine if you have the Bible app. <laughs> That's when I want to know how to pronounce it. I play on the Bible app. Just as a body, though one has many parts... But all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all giving one spirit to drink. So we are all together in this. Even if naturally we want a church of slaves, and we want a church of free, we want a church of Gentiles, and we want a church of Jews. We naturally want to do that. And I feel like in America, if you excuse me, but I've seen like in American history, we're pretty good at this, right? African-American church, like even our immigrants' church, they still end up in a corner. And they end up with our church on the same corner. But from the beginning, the Bible, the Apostle Paul, the idea of local churches was always churches that were mixed and diverse. And they chose to be together because of their diversity, not just, oh, no, let's... No, it's important for us to be together, and we're going to see why. It's important for Christ to be making one of all these different people. Even so, the body is not make, made up of one part, but of many. 
Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for the reason to stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the, the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. So basically, when we go on our natural path of wanting to be with people that are just like us, we're missing out on senses of the body of Christ. And I would dare say that in the name of productivity sometimes, of efficiency, we're quick to amputate parts of our body. We're quick to send our children away. We're quick to send our elderly away. I mean, like the, the joke in my house is like, if we feed our kids mac and cheese, of course they're going to put us in a retirement home somewhere very far away. So it's like, I, like if, you, if you've ever been in another country, lots of countries, the idea of like our elderly being away, our children being away is just like crazy. So this is the kind of body of Christ that Paul is talking about, a, a body that understands that every part of the body is important, that we all bring something to the table, even the most vulnerable parts of it. Um, that I cannot say to the hand, I don't, I, I don't need you. Like the elderly cannot say to the young, I don't need you. The young cannot say to the elderly, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that, it, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you is part of it. So this is the context that I'm coming to you. So I'm going to go into some, some, some things that we can learn, but keep this in mind. That this is the God that intended us to be like this, intended us to be in relationship, in fellowship with people who are different from you. That we have to choose for our own sake and for, for their sake. Even if those who we think are weak say, no, no, I, I'm, I'm just the feet, you know, I, I don't really belong to you. I don't, you know, we are one body. We are one body, not made of people who are different ethnically, in age, but in every way, God chose us and made us one body, part of his family. So, I feel like this room is mostly pastors. So, you know America is becoming more and more diverse. It's really going to be, become a, you know, I don't want to go into all the statistics. I know you can read all about anyone on the internet. But basically, we're going to become a, a nation where minorities are going to become the majority. So, as a pastor, how are you going to deal with it? Like, what are you going to do about it? 
Like, are we going to continue to kind of hold on to things the way they are, try to keep the status quo the, the way they are, or are we going to try to learn from it and become better with the immigrants that are coming? Because part of the challenge for, for, for us, for immigrants, is when we come here, is to understand that, in a way, we're kind of like the people in, live in exile. And that's how the Dane Initiative, the, the name of the group of international pastors, we call it the Dane Initiative. That's how it started. The idea that we are here also to be a blessing. We're living, in a way, in exile. We're, we, you know, some of us chose to come here. Some of us didn't come here because that was the only option we had to survive, to flee violence, to flee poverty. But we're here to be a blessing. Just like the people of God living in exile in Babylon was called to be a blessing to that nation and was called to, to plant gardens. And who knows, maybe that's the reason why Babylon was known for their hanging gardens. So the whole idea that we're here to be a blessing. We're not just a burden. But often as immigrants, it's easy for us to feel like we're a burden because we're just receiving favor, especially when we first arrive and you're completely dependent because you don't know the language. If you've met, if you work with refugees, they don't know how they don't know. The, it doesn't matter. You are an engineer back in Syria. You arrive here, you feel like treated like a child. That was like I felt in, in Turkey. It doesn't matter how, you know, you can be a PhD here. You arrive in Turkey, you're a little child. Kids are making fun of your Turkish, your broken Turkish. That's what they did to me. You know, my, my, my comfort was like, oh, you, I speak broken Turkish, but I speak four broken languages. So <laughs> you only speak good Turkish, you know? So that was my way to come around this. But basically, you know, like we, God, God wants us to be in fellowship with, with people that are different from us. And he wants us to, to learn from one another. So here are three, three things that we can learn from the Immigrant Global Church. And you're probably thinking, why didn't you just jump straight to that? I'm getting to there. So shaped by suffering versus shaped by comfort. So global church. You can, you're going to hear from Ayasu. You're going to, like, if, you, if you've been overseas, if you've been somewhere where the church is persecuted, I had three friends tortured and murdered in Turkey. I wasn't in Turkey when that happened because we had just got married. We were outside of the country. But I personally knew really well, two of them were really close friends. They were tortured and murdered because of the gospel in Turkey. One of them was a Turk, one was a German missionary, and one, uh, one was a Kurd Turk, like from Kurdish background. So, like, if you've known people who have suffered because of the gospel, we don't need to, like, use our imagination to understand the Bible when it talks about suffering and persecution. We don't need to think, oh, it means I can't pray around the flag at school. No, it, it's real persecution. It means, like, you'll be killed by your own family if you come out and say you're a Christian to your family. It means you can't really meet publicly without knowing, I mean, without knowing for sure that no one's going to pull a knife on you. Or, like, we've had, like, so many times where we knew, there are people in the meeting with us that wanted to do something bad to the church. So if you've been in that place, you know that suffering is a real thing. And that shapes you in how you pray. It shapes you every day you wake up. Like I grew up in Brazil. And my first time there with my wife would be driving around my home city. I'd be like, oh, I've been robbed at gunpoint here. I've been robbed a knife here. It's like, how many times have I been robbed? Uh, I don't know, too many times. So like, when you grow up somewhere like that, you know every day can be your last day. So if, if that was your context, you'd read the Bible very differently. You'd read it very differently. But on the other hand, if comfort shapes everything, then the nemesis of it is inconvenience. And then we feel like everything, like, oh, this is inconvenient for me. Like, oh, it's an inconvenience to have to, to do certain things. I, I you know, like we're... 
Like we, we love things that are convenient. That's why fast food does so well in this country because we want something that's quick and easy. We don't want to, like, we, you want to learn. I'm sure you learn, want to learn Spanish, but there's no fast food Spanish. You got to put the time in it. Every, like, and it's just so hard in this culture because that's that constant conflict. And we're shaped by comfort more than we're shaped by suffering. Like we try to avoid suffering as much as we can. When in reality, suffering does something to us that we can, that's the only way we can really identify with Jesus is when we let ourselves, put ourselves in the place to face suffering and walk along with people who suffer too. The centrality of prayer and the Holy Spirit. So there's a, a, a guy called Graham, uh, Graham Hill. And he has this website and this book called The Global Church Project. I really recommend you, you check it out. And when we were talking to him once on, over um, the internet, he said, what the American church calls Pentecostal, the Chinese church calls it the church. So, like, I don't know, maybe you're charismatic, so this doesn't make any sense to you. But I find it very interesting, like, if you didn't grow up around charismatic people, you get uncomfortable, like, if people start talking about the Holy Spirit and don't even go into dreams, or right? Like, not even talk about speaking tongues, talking about just, like, dreams and, like, very mild things. But the reality is, here's another thing. Check out what's happening in Iran and so many countries around the world. The church is growing like crazy. And how is it growing? by the power of the Holy Spirit. They have no clue who new city to city is or name whatever church planting group you know about or they have no church planting coaches. They have no great strategy. They have no funding. They have, sometimes they don't even have the whole Bible. But the church is growing. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. People are empowered. They know the power of the gospel. And they know the power of the Spirit. And they have that, that attitude to go and be willing to die and to suffer. To take the gospel anywhere it needs to be taken. And when all you have is God. You know, prayer takes a whole different meaning. Like if all you have is God. Like prayer, that's how you hold on to him. And his promise and his word. That's how, that's how you keep going. But going back to the safety and comfort, when, like really, how much do we desire new heavens and new earth when what we have is pretty darn good? I mean, I remember the first time I came to, to, to America, I landed in Chandler. And I remember I went for a walk and I couldn't find the house back again because every house looked the same. It's like they're all brown. The desert's brown. It's like everything's brown. And, and, and I couldn't even find a house. But everything's beautiful. Everything's perfectly the same, beautiful. Because we like the comfort. We like things that are familiar. We like things to be like that. But then what happens? That, that shapes, that creates like that spiritual laziness. That we don't want to have to fight for things and, and pray for things and really see things happen. Like, do you want to see that person that you know at work becoming a Christian? Fight for it in prayer. Like, cry for him in prayer. Like, you see God, like, there, there's, a, there's a direct connection between prayer evangelism. Like, we just had our meeting at Roosevelt. We were talking about evangelism. And, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure at your church, everyone is doing great at evangelism. But at Roosevelt, we, we struggle. Like, we want to get people more connected to evangelism. And I remember, like, something that came to my heart is, like, if we're praying, if you're on your knees for however long, an hour or something, that's something I learned very quickly in America, too. Like, people don't do all-night prayers and things that are normal in other countries. But if you're really praying for people to come to know Jesus, guess what's going to happen to you when you encounter them? You're going to have, like, 
that thing inside of you that you can't stop but share the, the love of God with them. That you won't be like, oh, I don't know if this is the most convenient time. But like if your heart is aching for them in prayer, you're going to share the gospel. Evangelism and prayer, you can't separate those two. You can give the best training on evangelism. Give them all the tools. Have them memorize everything. If they're not praying, the miracle that needs to happen for conversion doesn't happen. And you're not going to be bold enough because you're not crying enough for those people that need to know Jesus. So the, the Holy Spirit is the power of God for the powerless. So if you come from a minority, even in America, if you come from a minority, you know what's injustice. You know what's to be oppressed. You know what's not to have the same privileges and opportunities. So especially like in countries like in South America and Brazil, like I, I grew up in a poor area, became a Christian in a drug dealing neighborhood. So you know what's not to trust the police. Like I still remember like Julie in Brazil, she's like my wife, she's like, I'm tired of being with you all the time. I just want to go out by myself. Oh, yeah, you do? Okay, what are you going to do if you get lost and something happens? I'll go to the police. Okay, you're not going out. <laughs> uh, like, so, like, if you, if you grow up somewhere where, where you know injustice, if you know oppression, you know that the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is real to you. You're going to encounter opportunity after opportunity to see God come through when you don't have food at the table. Have you ever had to pray that God would provide for that bill that is coming up or for food. Like if you do, you're going to see God come through. But you can't see that when it's all comfortable. And that, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just like, you know, that's the, the curse, I guess, that comes with having such affluence and abundance is that we're deprived of seeing God come through in amazing ways. Okay, here's uh, one, one last thing before I go to number three. Um, I feel like here in America, we're really worried about people not believing in God anymore. Right? There's a lot of like, oh, you know, secularism, whatever. People don't believe in God. And, I, you know, of course, we want people to believe in God. But, you know, something I've discovered in America over this past few years is that I feel like just as bad as not believing in God is that people don't believe in anything like supernatural. They don't believe. Like I've encountered people who said, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I just don't believe in the devil and Satan and demons and any of that stuff. And I feel like we're functionally like, you know, believers in, in God, but atheists when it comes to the devil and anything related to supernatural spiritual warfare or anything like that. Why do I say that? Because I feel like if we really believed in the devil, if we really believed that there's more than just what our eyes see when something evil is happening, then that would move our hearts to pray. Because how do you fight spiritual stuff that you can't fight with your own strength? How do you, how do you fight things that you can't fight with your PhD? How do you fight things that you cannot fight with your network or with your net worth? You need the power of God. And that's why I say that prayer and the Holy Spirit are central. And the last one is seeing the church as a family versus the consumer church. Right? I'm pretty sure lots of you struggle with having people understand the church is not just somewhere where you come and consume religious goods. That consumerism, which has shaped the, this country so much, has shaped our view of God, has shaped our expectation on pastors, on churches. And, 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 and it's hard because I feel like American Christianity is like nothing I've ever seen. Like if you've been to Europe, you see that it's all West, but it's very different. 
like European Christianity, they, they look at some stuff in, the, in America and they go like, you guys are crazy there, you know. Because like, there's like so much of what we do in the American church is purely because we have the, mo the money to do it. Like so many of our choices is because we have the budget for it or we can go and buy whatever we need. So like it's not just like we're struggling with consumerism in our own families, but we're struggling with consumerism in our churches, in how we handle money, in how, I mean, who... I hope you don't have a, who needs like a big waterfall in front of your church, you know, no, no waterfall. I, sorry, it's crushed that plan now after today. Right? But like, you know, there's like so many things that I, I couldn't help at the beginning. Like I remember I went to this mega church when I first got in Arizona and I was in shock, in cultural shock. I was like, this is like Disneyland. I've never been to Disneyland, but it's I think what I miss. I mean, I would imagine what this is probably Disneyland look, looks like. But I was like, imagine them probably like a million dollars or more in the staff. And meanwhile, I know there's like so many churches that like have like a box, like a cardboard box as a pulpit or something, you know, like have nothing. So it's just like this discrepancy. And what happens when you're like that? Well, one, you're never going to learn to be interdependent, especially because the value in our culture is to be independent. Like we raise our kids in America to be independent. So I'm, I'm trying to do my best to use the good things about American culture, but I really try my best to help them remember, like, we're all dependent on one another, especially when it comes to the body of Christ. Like, we talk about the church being family a lot, but think about it. Families are, family is a broken idea anyway in society. So by, by just throwing the word out there, we're a family. Most people have no idea. I, I, I was raised by a single mom when I had my mom to raise me, if I wasn't bouncing around. So lots of people that I know didn't have both parents. So what does it mean for to be at a church, to be a family? At very least, something very dysfunctional that you don't really know. And then we combine with that idea with how we set everything up, where you come, receive the service, and you go home. And, you know, a good successful part of that family is if you're contributing by helping with something in that family. But when things get tough, when things get hard, you don't really know anyone because... That's family. So what is family? I encourage you, spend time with internationals. Go to their churches. See how they do church. See how they do family. Is it perfect? By no means. But that's what I mean by how we need their ears. We need their eyes so we don't miss out on those senses. What it means to be a family of God when people need, truly need one another. Like, I, I struggle, when, how many times as a pastor, like, you, you, you hear about someone being sick, and they don't want to ha have a visitor, they don't want to see anyone. It's like, if I'm sick, I want to go in my corner here and die quietly. I don't want to bother anyone. I don't want to inconvenience anyone. When, if in Brazil, if you're sick, you're going to get sick of visitors, because they're all going to come to your house. I'm going to come there and bring oil. And like people going to come, like going to have 20 people come and lay hands on you and pray. And they're going to keep praying and crying with you until you get better. Because they're family. It's like, you're sick? What do you do with your family? Lock you in the back room and hope you, you get better and come out of it three days later? No, you're with them. You're serving them. You're giving them soup. You're giving them to help them get better. By the way, I love American culture and how you bring food when people are sick. That's, we don't have that. I wish we did. I guess because we're in their house all the time eating with them. But anyway. Um, but the, the idea is like, like, the idea of family is something that's like, I encourage you, like, you're never going to truly get an idea of family unless you spend time with people who have very different family settings, right? Just like if you grew up as a, sing, uh, as a son or a daughter of a single parent, 
when you grow up and you try to be a parent, you're gonna have to hang out with people who have families and have like, how do I do this? Like, I I had to do that. I was discipled by people. It was like, I have no idea how to be a dad. I have no idea, you know, how how do we do this? We need one another, and this is the kind of lessons that we can learn from the global church. I wanna pray. Thank you, Jesus, so much, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that you. Help everyone here forget all the stuff that I said that was useless and help them remember the things that come from you and from your spirit, Lord. I pray that you guide us in this time of discussion too, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. okay. Thanks, Michelle. That was great. Uh, my name is Josh Prather. I didn't introduce myself last time. I'm a pastor at Redemption Church, um, and I co-lead uh, the Daniel Initiative with Michelle Duarte. Uh, there's about six leaders that make up, core leaders that make up the Daniel Initiative. A few of them uh, couldn't be here today just because of circumstances that are out of their control, but we have the pleasure of listening to uh, Yasu, Jimmy, and you just heard from Michelle. Um, I want to give most of the time to them. I just want to share one story that kind of got me into the Daniel Initiative or really inspired me to carry this vision forward. I was in Ethiopia about five years ago and had the pleasure of leading a few of our congregations to Ethiopia to work on partnerships. And the vision primarily was how we were going to go and be a blessing to the Ethiopian church. And uh, there was a few ways we were going to do that. We were going to try to uh, serve, try to serve holistically, thinking about good service underneath the authority of the Ethiopian church, underneath Ethiopian leaders, which we still do to this day. Um, we were thinking about uh, financial partnerships, sort of the best way we could partner financially and give to the Ethiopian church. Um, we had incredible meals, incredible conversations, but I remember one meal in particular. I sat down with a pastor named Pastor Bezalem, um, and I just asked him, hey, just share your story. Talk to me about how you became a pastor, how you grew up. So he goes into his story and tells me that he grew up in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, and when he, he was in high school, he started to get visions of Jesus uh, in dreams. So he came to the priest, the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, um, because he's reading the Bible now, he's seeing Jesus, and he comes to the priest, and he says, hey, can you help me understand this? You know, I'm reading the Bible, I'm starting to see Jesus, and the priest encourages him to stop reading his Bible, put it away, and just listen to the church, but thankfully he didn't. So he starts to gather with his friends, and he actually starts to find out that God is giving visions and dreams to uh, young people and youth in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church across the nation. So he starts to link together with these, these people, and they're praying together, and they're studying the Bible, and they're starting to see Jesus for the first time, and they're in the, this, he shares a story. They're in the room together this one time, and they're on their knees. They're crying out to Jesus. They're praying, and all of a sudden, the Spirit comes down. It fills them up, and they look at one another. They open their eyes, and they're just weeping. And he says, Josh, it was the first time that I've ever experienced God's love. He's like, and it just captivated me, and it captivated all of us. So he goes on. He actually becomes a medical doctor, but all the while, they're planning churches. Well, they start his Bible studies. They turn into churches. Eventually, those get too big to where he has to actually step aside and start leading this network of churches. Um, and in the meantime, some of his friends have uh, died because they uh, were persecuted for the faith, suffered for the faith, and were murdered in the midst of this as they're planning churches. So I step back, and I, as he's sharing the story, I said, so how many churches are you talking that you oversee? Um, and he said, well, I think, and I'm forgetting the exact number, but I'm, all, I'm positive it was hundreds. He said, nah, I think about two or 300 at this time. So it's like Bible studies, like small groups. He said, eh, anywhere between like 100 to 1,000 people. I said, okay. And I said, uh, so are, are most of the people like, they've come from other churches. And he was like, well, we're finding that most of the people, and none of this he's boasting. He just said, you know, we're finding that most of the people that have actually come to faith are um, converts. 
you know, that they've just come through the power of the Spirit. Like, God's falling on people, and the Spirit's doing incredible things. So he's leading this church in Ethiopia that's building up leaders. They're collectively adopting orphans. They're caring for widows. He's equipping these leaders. He's leading this church of 2,000 people in Addis Ababa, but he's also overseeing this network of 2,000 people. And I sit back in the chair, and this is where the light bulb went off for me, and I said, I, I'm here, and I'm here to bless primarily, which we do. We have things we learn from one another in this relationship. But I do believe at this point in history, I have more to learn from you than I do in serving you. I have more I need to get in this relationship than I do that I think I, I can give in this relationship. And that's where I, where I believe we're, where, where we're at in the 21st century is we just have so much we have to learn and to get from the international church. So Ayasu, you've already heard from Michelle. Ayasu, Jimmy, will you just take a moment, introduce yourselves, uh, your churches, your organizations, what you're a part of? My name is Yasu. I'm from Ethiopia. I attend uh, Ethiopian church here in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and I have a strong uh, connection to uh, Redemption Arcadia. Uh, I am uh, a founder and executive director of uh, a nonprofit organization called uh, Hope for Children Ethiopia. Um, my name is Jimmy Martinez. I'm a pastor over at Neighborhood Ministries, and uh, been here. I was born in Honduras, Central America, and I've been here. I think it's 13 years. I always forget, but it's somewhere around there, 13 years. And we've been, you know, downtown Phoenix, uh, basically uh, following the work of uh, uh, Kid Danley and uh, God's Heart for the Poor and being community and the international uh, immigrant community uh, is who we're serving there. So we've been there for, uh, I actually got there because of my wife, so I kind of resonated with your wife's story. So, <laughs> and I think Michelle did a great job, didn't he? Like just as going through that thing, and so a lot of the things that I was thinking, he's just like, boom, it's right there. So, thank you, Michelle, for those words. So. Yasu, I want to start with you if you want to hold on to that mic. Um, and I wanted to share one more quick story to kind of lead us in to how you started Hope for Children in Ethiopia. Remember, we were sitting around. It was me, Michelle, Yasu, Jimmy, and another uh, Burmese leader named Tamsung Taknan. And we're talking about the Daniel Initiative, what it could be. Um, and the first thing that came to mind for me is let's gather together. Let's get in the room. Let's gather together. Let's pray at the beginning of the meeting. And then... I mean, just, you know, the beginning prayer that you normally do. And then let's launch into a conversation about, okay, let's articulate the vision. Let's talk about the mission, what we want to accomplish. And then from that, let's talk about like a strategic goals and objectives that kind of funnel down from that. So I look at the four leaders that are sitting across the table and they look at me and they say, okay. And then Tom leans forward and he says, why don't we just pray? And an audible sigh from every single one of them literally comes like, yes. As if they'd been longing for someone to say, let's just pray for so long. I've literally sat with each one of them and had individual conversations about this like yearning to be dependent. Michelle talked about this yearning to be dependent on prayer once again. And you've talked to me about starting Hope for Children in Ethiopia. We just talk about starting that organization and the dependence upon the Holy Spirit in prayer. Sure. Um, yeah, uh, I grew up in a Christian family uh, in Ethiopia. And all I know about my family, uh, my family's prayer life, 
my mother, my sisters, and my brothers, they actually pray two, three, four hours. And that's how uh, I get to know what prayer is all about. Sometimes at uh, the early stage, uh, I hate praying, and it's very boring. I don't, I don't even know why they are kneeling down for that long hours. But as I grew up, uh, it became actually my part of my life. Uh, prayer is simply communication to God. Uh, it's a way we tell him uh, what we want or what we need or we love him or whatever uh, feelings that we have to express, uh, but based on the word of God. Uh, so when we started our, our, our ministry together with my friends, uh, we have no experience working in a nonprofit organization. Uh, some of us have been in high school. Some of us just graduated high school. Uh, but we only had that passion of uh, uh, spreading the gospel for the vulnerable children uh, in the streets of Addis Ababa. So all we know was just prayer. So we were doing overnight prayers. We were doing mountain prayers. We were just pleading to God uh, that... Uh, to, because as I said, we don't know what to do or how to do it. So it is, we believe that it is a divine intervention that bring change. And in order for us to do it, to tell God what we want to accomplish. And to be honest with you, we could be able to accomplish beyond our limits or our, our, our potential, our uh, ability. It's just because of the prayers that we presented to God and God was actually intervening in every step of the way. And people start to come to Christ and people's life, the street children, young prostitutes, with, within our eyes, we see them that transformed. We only do a little bit of uh, uh, teaching, Bible teaching, a little bit of uh, being uh, living exemplary life to them, but that's, that's nothing because these people came from the rough, rough neighborhood, rough places, but it's only the prayer and the intervention of the Holy Spirit through our prayer that uh, transformed. I'm not saying that we're holy or we, we're, we're just people of uh, prayers, but because we couldn't do anything to help these people, we let God through our prayer to uh, to do the job. That's great. You've talked to me before about this fire. You know, you always point to your belly, and you say there's like this fire in your belly that sometimes you feel is missing since you've been in the U.S. You know, we just talked to us more about that. Yes, uh, since I came to the U.S., uh, it's just like Michelle spoke right now. Uh, my priority changed. Um, back in the days, okay, Ethiopia is actually the poorest nation in the world. So if you, if you don't experience what luxury is, if you don't experience what privilege is, it's nothing for you. So whatever situation you are, it's normal. So now I came here and not only me, actually, a majority of immigrant family came here and we saw something that we have never seen in our lives. That's comfort. That is material. That is money. That is hope. This is, I mean, it, it's, it's, this country is a place of hope. So now, in order for me to achieve that material uh, 
material uh, 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 um, accumulations, then I stop to pray. <laughs> I stop to spend a lot of hours reading the Word of God. Uh, so, I mean, my spiritual life actually is getting weakened and weakened. Uh, if I pray like 20 minutes a day, <laughs> I would be a very strong person because my priority is changed and I became a victim of this consumerism and materialism uh, that's why I feel, I, to be honest with you, I feel more weak when it comes to my spiritual life. Uh, so that passion, that burning issue, I mean, like, the, that passion, that, like, thirst to go to, to, to the, the altar of uh, God uh, is diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. So I want you to pray for me to, you know, kindle me back to where I was. Jimmy, I want to get to you now. We just talk about uh, what the Daniel Initiative and the unity among those pastors has meant to you as a leader. Uh, to me, the the group are man. I'm just gonna go back to what uh, Michelle was talking about, and it's like the dependency of one another, right? I I think of unity and diversity, and I think you cannot have one without the other one. You know what I mean? It's uh, I go back to what Jesus prayed for us, right, in, in John 17, was that, that we will be one as he is one with the Father. And I think that th that unity actually talked to us about that I need you guys, you know, in my life. Not that unity is like I'm going to, you know, it's, it's all about you guys, right, and, and uh, making friends, I'll say it that way. But unity requires for me to look at myself as well, right? And the work that needs to be done in myself, the correct self-correctment, like things that I can't see when I'm just like hanging out with my own people, right? My own group. And for me, this has been one of the, the, the biggest blessings of being just in the international community is being able to like just see the beauty in in God's kingdom and diversity in that that I can like see that and it will be like a mirror to myself and I can work on my own life to see what are my blind spots what can I learn you know from my brothers and sisters right that God is showing me that otherwise would be like really hard for me to understand uh, a lot of and a lot of it is cultural, like like uh, Michelle was saying. Like we, it does affect us. The cultural way, our cultural upbringing affects the way that we read scripture. Affects the way that we do church. It affects our relationships. It affects everything. You know, and when we, you read about like the Western church and the culture, you know, you end up reading about like the individualism, right? And then, when, and, but then it's like, how do you get out of that, right? Michael Goheen, which you mentioned, and you know him, like always, I hope I don't but, butcher this, but it's just like, it wasn't always like this, right? It was like this communal relational thing about the church. And then like someone asked like, what about the individual aspect of it? And then we started doing the individual thing. And he says like, well, if I were to say something right now, it would be like, okay, we got it. We got the individual thing. Let's go back to the communal kind of 
kind of stuff. And I think being a part of the international community, uh, that, that's one of the blessings that they, that they bring to the city, is that we can look into these communities and learn from them. You know, simple things, uh, uh, you know, I, I would say uh, in terms of uh, some of the cultural stuff and uh, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest symbols I would say in our culture, like in the Latino uh, culture, is around the table, especially around food. We just love food. <laughs> Uh, I can't tell you how many tamales I ate this Christmas, you know, like I'm keeping count. But it's like every house that I went to is food at the table. Food at the table. And I just like, I just like, uh, this just got my attention because I think this is one of the things that, you know, here in America, like being so individualism and, and, and being affected and being shaped by this, you know, that's something that we are looking into these communities. And now I see like a lot of activities that are happening around the churches are around the table, you know. And that's like that's something beautiful because a lot of great things happen around the table, a lot of good conversations, a lot of things that God is doing through that. And I think we that's a lot of the things that we can learn from the international community, you know, so things like that. When we pay attention and we're willing to listen and to learn from from them. So um, in just a moment, I want to open it up to you all if you have any questions. So just be thinking of any questions you may have for, for these guys. I want to ask one more question to Michelle. Uh, Michelle, just being able to kind of navigate different cultures, you know, so you've been in Turkey, born and raised in Brazil, now here. Will you just talk about how that's uh, been a benefit to you as a leader? If you think of one thing that's, that's helped your leadership. And I didn't prompt him with this question. That's why he's pausing to think. Um. <clears throat> Like really, like every so, I helped with a church in Paraguay, and I remember that was my first time really out of Brazil working with the church for an extended period. And I remember I, ha I had to basically learn what it meant to be a leader in Paraguay, and then it happened again in Turkey. Like you had to rediscover, just to give you a bit of perspective. Like this is a, a bone that I pick with friends here, but like it drives me crazy how Americans are obsessed with leadership. It's leadership academy, leader, everything is about leadership. Like even our kids, right? they're like, you gotta be a leader. If everyone is a leader, who's gonna be led? Like, but where's like, it's so much, like, it's so much about leadership. So then coming to America, uh, I've had to rediscover what it means to be a leader. For example, when is a, when is a leader's voice heard? For example, I've been in cultures where the leader has to be meek and, and quiet and, you know, speak soft. And then you come to a culture where if you don't speak firm, if you don't snap straight and, hey, no one even cares what you're saying. So it's like, but we think this is leadership. So to me, it's been like this journey of learning leadership and, you know, like, what is the heart of it? Well, at the end of the day, we know here too, it's like serving, right? But how do you best serve people? It's like always being aware, like, on your context, how do you serve people in, in a leadership position? Kimberly, will you grab the mic? And uh, do you have any questions for Jimmy, Yasu, or Michelle? Um, I want to thank all of you 
for being a part of this culture in this country because you do bring value. What you're explaining to us is the reality of other people in other parts of the world that we don't see, that we don't hear about, that we don't understand. And when those people come here, they do bring value. They bring heart. They bring sometimes determination. And they add to our culture. Even what you've all shared today, you've added to all of us. And you use the word leaders. We're supposed to be leaders. And, and our goal is to lead by serving. And I think that's one of the things that you can all share with us about leadership outside of the United States is those men and women become leaders because they're servants and they spend time with God. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Sue, you talked about the transformation you were experiencing in Ethiopia. Uh, children who live on the street, prostitutes, just um, their lives being transformed by the spirit. And then you came here and you lost the fire in your belly. What, a, what does spirit-inspired transformation look like in Phoenix through your eyes? Yeah, uh, sorry, I need to translate. <laughs> uh, what needs it to get back uh, to put my priorities straight? Uh, when you live a life full of selfishness and out of purpose, it, like it became... I'm just being honest with you. I mean, it's all about me. It's all about me. When God speaks to you, trust me, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not all about you. It's all about him and his kingdom. Now, that really changed. It's become about me, my life, my marriage, my business, my restaurant. And it, it became all that. So every day I think about it. I mean, you are the product of what you think. Right, so when the more I think about it, uh, the more consumed I became. Uh, so that uh, that's automatic. That's automatic. That the more you are self-centered, the more you are distanced from the things of God. So what it takes is to come back to the original intent that God identifying identifying the purpose that I have in the kingdom of God and determined to make a decision between the things of God and the things of me. Uh, so yeah, I'm struggling with that and the people around me are praying about it. And I, I, as a matter of fact, I am to the beginning of uh, 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 to rekindle that, that, mm. that, that fire in me. Uh, and I see some kind of stuff to free me, free me up from yeah. uh, what what is consuming me right now, and that's why I'm asking you to pray for me too. Hey, can we pray for you now? Sure, sure. Chris, will you pray? 
uh, God, we actually just come before you as a, a group of people in Phoenix who love you and want to serve you. And so we ask you humbly now that you would uh, ignite a fire in all of our bellies for you, God. I pray that uh, we would welcome your spirit to fill us uh, and that we would then live by that spirit, realign our priorities to be other-centered, God. I pray that we would not take stories here for granted, that we would uh, let you flip them around and show them to us as a mirror so that we might then go and, and be the people that you're asking us to be here in Phoenix. And so I uh, pray that you would do that specifically, Yasu, that, uh, that that would then be the, the model and the picture that all of us would yearn for, that we would invite other people to pray for us, to uh, know our purpose in you again, and that it would not be me-centered, but that it would be other-centered, God. Again, Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill us, to lead us, and to walk with us. Would it all be for your glory and for your kingdom to come in this city? We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, thanks for your stories. Um, a question I have in my mind is this, and this is for all, all of you. Um, can you put your finger on one thing that having come and lived in this culture that has been of spiritual value to your life? Uh, maybe you can't. <laughs> maybe there's nothing. But I, I was just wondering if, uh, if there is one thing um, that uh, you found here that has been of spiritual value and encouragement uh, to your life that maybe is unique in this culture? For me, um, and maybe it's something very, maybe it's just something unique to, to Phoenix or to the surge environment, but I've, I've never been somewhere where, where people who normally wouldn't have a reason to support one another choose to support and encourage one another. Like it's being extremely encouraging to me to see churches that in theory don't need each other. They're just fine on their own. They have their budgets, they have their staff, everything, but they choose to partner with one another for the sake of the kingdom of God. So I feel like that's incredibly encouraging. That's the, what I take to Brazil when I go to Brazil, is that desire to see that happening elsewhere. And, and this is like on a macro level where like in, in terms of the, the city, I see that happening a lot but I also see that on a personal relational level. Yeah. Like I really feel like there's a lot, like in Brazilian culture, that I've, the first time I encountered that, encountered that was in the UK. I, I, I never saw people who are so encouraging to one another. And at first, when I first encountered that, because that was not normal in Brazilian culture, at least not where I grew up, I was like, what do you want? <laughs> it's like, why are you saying that? <laughs> We're more like, like we even have a saying being fate, like, you know, you deserved it. And now something bad came away because you deserved it. Like we're more like put down so I can get a little bit higher by putting you down. Mm -hmm. But I really see this as a value here where people really honestly are excited for each other. Encourage, for the most part, you know, I also worked in places where they hated you. But like most of the time people really encourage you and want you to succeed. And especially in this environment, like really, like especially like church planting and how people like 
normally in Brazil they would be like on a war with each other for you know you don't get near my people I won't get near your people and here they're like no no you, you should go to their church I think you fit more the profile of that church oh no, you should go to their church and here I'm going to give you an offering to help you with your project like this only happens because of God and I feel like that's definitely something that has been a value that I got from here So I, I think for me, like looking at, at in Honduras where I was raised up and looking at the church there, I think there's a lot of uh, this this way that we do church that is inward, that is like we call people to come to church and that's pretty much where we stay. So it's like an inward kind of thing. Um, but being here, especially, you know, I got to neighborhood ministries like 13 years ago and the emphasis there was actually like to go out into the community and to see what God is doing in the community, that we actually don't bring God to the community. God's already there at work. And that was like some like an eye-opening thing for me. You know, so wherever I, I go, I try to take that. And uh, that's really something that, that has been uh, a blessing to me here is to find out that there's more and more uh, communities and churches, ministries that are doing this, that are trying to, you know, reach out. You know, and what does the church really look like? You know, it's not the four walls, but how do we go out and reach out and take the gospel there? You know, and uh, I think that for me has been one of the transformational things. I'm not a pastor. I'm a community leader. So I'm just speaking from a community perspective. Uh, if you go to every Ethiopian church here in America, or if you talk to uh, every Ethiopian community here in America, what we are, personally I observed that a lot, that uh, is a very big thing that you guys took it for granted, the generosity of American people as a people, the church as a church is beyond comprehension. The reason why we came to realize that the reason why African countries, especially Ethiopian, in, since I'm from Ethiopia, is because we are poor, is because of the lack of sharing life, sharing uh, what we have. Uh, so it's not in our culture that what I learned uh, ever since I came to America is the people and the church in the community is so generous and every year, when I go to Ethiopia, this is what I tell and educate my people. Sometimes in the near future, uh, uh, my dream in Ethiopia is to, to be self-sufficient by sharing what we have with others, learning from American culture. That's great. We just thank them for... I'm, uh, I'm going to get us out of here. We'll stay up here, actually. Thank you, but stay. <laughs> no, Yasu. <laughs> we have about five minutes left. I'm going to take us all the way till one, uh, but I will get us out of here at one, I promise you. Um, you know, Michelle and I always say we like to talk about prayer, but we never pray. So I'd like to just spend uh, a little bit of time praying. So around your tables, whatever God stirred in you, let's just take five minutes. Pray as you feel led around your tables. In five minutes, I'm going to close this down. We'll get out of here, and we'll be done. So... Pray around your tables, five minutes, and I'll close this out in just a second. Father, we thank you for this time together. 
God, I thank you for the words of Michelle. I thank you um, for your anointing on him. God, we pray in the name of Jesus as we go from here that we would be people that are dependent. God, fully dependent on Jesus, God. Where would we be without him? God, may we constantly come to you pleading and crying out, as Michelle talked about, that we need more of your spirit, that we are desperate that you would do things in our churches, in our families, in our communities. God, not being self-dependent. God, interdependent on one another and fully dependent on you. God, we pray. So leaving here, God, keep us safe. God, thank you for this gathering of men and women. All glory belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all for being here. Have a great rest of your day.